Turn with me, if you would, in your copies of God's Word to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read together verses 17 and 18. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing and for the working of His Spirit before we read His Word. Father God, we ask that you would pour on us in full measure your spirit and that he would bring illumination and light and understanding from this text, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the wondrous things you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read God's word. Beginning in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, a text like this may seem a bit out of place for Monday Thursday service, and I recognize that. Uh, Monday comes from the Latin word for command. It's where we get our word mandate, and it refers to this command Jesus gives his disciples, to love one another just as I have loved you. That's what he tells them. And preaching a text like this that contains a reference to Christ's resurrection may seem a bit bit premature or a bit early. It's not Resurrection Sunday. It's not even Good Friday. But I chose that text because there's one phrase that I'm going to zoom in on and spend all our time on. And it's this phrase, I have the keys of death and Hades. Every Sunday morning, as a part of our order of worship, our congregation recites an affirmation of faith. We have three that we rotate through just so we stay somewhat fresh. One of those is the Apostles' Creed. And within the Apostles' Creed, there is a controversial line. A line that some churches have cut out and they have removed from the creed. A line that very likely has brought you some confusion over the years. Maybe it made it cause it caused you to stop and scratch your head. You've seen it already, I'm sure. It's the sermon title in your bulletin. He descended into hell. We can go through the creed together as it pertains to Christ that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Now, what does that mean? It seems like an appropriate question to ask as we approach Good Friday, as we approach the death of Christ on the cross. Where did his soul go? After he breathed his last and when his body was laid down in that cold stone tomb, where was our Savior? 
The creed says he descended into hell. Now, it's very important from the start to understand what the creed means by hell. The word hell in the creed is not Gehenna. Rather, it is Hades. We'll look at the difference between those two. Maybe, like me growing up, you thought the only difference was that Hades is just the PG version. If you wanted to say hell and hell was the cuss word, the rated R version, Hades was the PG version. Well, it's much more than that. Gehenna is what you think of when you think of hell. It, it's, it, Gehenna is simply a Greek word that we take and translate as hell, and it is what you think when you think of hell. It refers to a place of eternal punishment, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the lake of fire that burns forever. That's Gehenna. And it was illustrated by a place outside of Jerusalem. Outside of the city, there was this garbage dump in the valley of Hinnom. People would take their garbage there to burn it. They would take human refuse there and burn it. At one point in Israel's history, there was child sacrifice practiced there. This was a place where there was always smoke, always fire, and the worm never died. That's a picture of Gehenna. And that's not what the Apostles' Creed is talking about. The Apostles' Creed is saying that Jesus descended into Hades. Well, what is Hades? Hades is simply the realm of the dead. It's the place where human souls were taken once they were separated from their body at death. I remember seeing my grandmother's body after uh, she passed away at her funeral and visitation. I believe it was April of 2019. She was 95 years old. And the funeral home had dressed her very nicely and fixed her hair and put makeup on her face. But as I stood there and looked into that open casket, it was clear to me that my grandmother was gone. Her body was there, but she wasn't. I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. You've gone to a visitation or funeral for a friend or loved one, and their body is there, but they aren't. Jesus Christ's body was there, but he wasn't. He descended into Hades. Now, Hades is another Greek word that is used in the New Testament to describe this realm of the dead. And in the Old Testament, there is a Hebrew word, Sheol, which is used to describe that same place. If you've read the Old Testament at all, especially the Psalms, you've seen this word Sheol over and over again. Both Sheol and Hades connote death, And the grave, the depths of the earth, the depths of the sea, it has a very, both of them have a very subterranean feel about them. When we read through the Old Testament, we see lots of examples. Israel, or Jacob, when he's told that this prince off in Egypt wants his youngest son, Benjamin, to be brought to Egypt, he says, no, no, no. He can't go because if something happened to my youngest son on the road, I would be brought down to Sheol in sorrow. 
Samuel, his spirit is brought up out of Sheol by a, a medium, a witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28. Strange story. Does not turn out well for King Saul. You have Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16. There's a group that are opposing Moses and Aaron, and what happens to them? Moses is told, tell everyone to back up. Everyone backs up, and the earth opens underneath the feet of those rebelling and, the, and then closes and swallows them. And we're told that they went alive down into Sheol. Or you think of Jonah in the belly of the great fish. He prays to God saying, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The deep surrounded me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Those verses in Jonah really give us a good sense for Sheol and Hades, a place down below, almost next to the foundations of the earth, where the souls of the dead would go as they awaited final judgment. So just to recenter ourselves for a moment, the Apostles' Creed is holding that after Christ died, And while his body lay in the tomb, his soul went to Hades, Sheol, this realm of the dead. Okay, John, but why wouldn't he go to heaven? Because Jesus Christ was in for the full human experience. You've heard the saying, you bought the ticket, you take the ride. Jesus had agreed with the Father to become fully human in order that he would be able to serve this role as our mediator. We're told in Hebrews 2 that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Made like his brothers in every respect. And do you know where his brothers went after they died? Where did they go prior to Christ's resurrection? Sheol, Hades, this realm of the dead. That's where everyone went. If you were to go back, if you were to get in some time machine and go back to first century Israel and walk the streets of Jerusalem and kind of do a a man on the street interview... And if you were to walk up to people on the street and ask them that well-known evangelism explosion question, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So just imagine you're walking around Jerusalem, first century, asking people that question. You know the response you would have gotten? God doesn't let anyone into his heaven. What you mean, you're a little confused. What you mean is, Why should God let me into his good section of Hades? Why should God let me into his good section of Sheol? That's what you mean, because only there are only a few who have been taken up into heaven. There's only a few who have eluded death. Enoch, Elijah, maybe as legend goes, Jeremiah and Moses. I'd want to be in the good section of Hades. They'd be right in a sense. Everyone went to Sheol, Hades, both the good and the bad, 
the righteous and the unrighteous, but the experiences of the righteous and the unrighteous were very different. Within this realm of the dead, there was a place of torment that would be closer to Gehenna, and then there was a place of great blessing which was sometimes identified by the name Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. Jesus speaks about this very clearly. Luke 16, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Both the rich man and Lazarus die. We're told that the angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's side where he was comforted. And the rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades, he was in torment and anguish. Jesus goes on to say that the rich man calls out to Abraham for mercy. He's able to communicate with Abraham, but no help, no comfort comes. Both men die, both go to a place of the dead, but one was comforted and the other was in anguish. And between them, we're told, a great chasm had been fixed so that no one could go back and forth between the two sides. Those are Jesus' words. In order for him to be a merciful and faithful high priest, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to experience the reality of human death. He had to experience what it was like for soul and body to be separated. And for the body to lay in the tomb and for the soul to go to the realm of the dead. Jesus says himself in Matthew 12, 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus had to descend to Hades. But as you read through your Bible, you'll notice in the New Testament, suspiciously after Christ's resurrection, that there's a change in language when it comes to where the dead go. We stop hearing about the saints going down into the heart of the earth, going down to the grave, going down to the land of the dead. Instead, what do we hear more heavenly language. The people of God going up. Souls in the very presence of God in heaven. In the heavenly Jerusalem. With the angels under the altar. Standing before the throne. Standing beside the sea of glass. Why that change? Why is this place of waiting now heavenly and not Subterranean. Two reasons. Number one, because Jesus Christ has conquered death. He has broken death. He was crucified, died, was buried, and he remained under the power of death for a time. Three days. But God the Father did not abandon Christ's soul to Hades. The father did not cease to support his son. He did not cease to look after his son. And at the right time, the bonds of death were cut. And as Peter says in Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross so that our sin, which was placed upon him, might be crushed. And he descended into Hades so that when he rose again, death might be broken. There's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando by the name of Charles E. Hill. Uh, I found a lecture of his on this topic. It was very helpful, and I want to quote some of his words. Dr. Hill says, quote, We have a Savior who has done what no one else had done before. Not Enoch, who walked with God. Not Abraham, the friend of God. Not Moses, faithful in all God's house. Not Joshua, who gave them rest. Not Samson, the strong. Not David, the triumphant king. Not Elijah, the chariot rider. Not Judas, Maccabeus, the hammer. We have a Savior who has entered death's realm and has conquered it, who has bound the strong man and spoiled his goods, who has risen and ascended to the throne of glory. End quote. That's the first reason for this change. It's because Jesus has conquered death. The second reason for this change for this language of going up and ascending into the heavenlies instead of going down into the earth, is that Jesus prayed to the Father that we would be with him. This is incredible. In John 17, 24, Jesus prays and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. That is an amazing prayer. It's wonderful for us. Jesus is saying, for you and of me, for both of us, he's saying, Father, I want to be with those you have given to me. I want to be with them. I want them to be with me. I want them to be where I am. I want to see, I want them to see the glory that you have given me. It is an astonishing prayer that he would want us with him. How does God answer that request? There are lots of places I could turn. Ephesians 2, 5 came to my mind and I'm going to read it to you. Here, I believe, is an adequate response of how the Father answered Christ's prayer. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which with, uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that with the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear all those with hymns? We redeemed sinners have been made alive with him. We have been raised up with him. We have been seated with him in the heavenly places. The Father answers this prayer and has made it so that where Christ is, his people will be also. 
why Jesus could tell the penitent thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It's why Paul can write a letter to the church in Philippi and say, to depart this life and to be with Christ is better. It's why Paul can also write a letter to the church in Corinth and say, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Jesus wanted us with him. But you know who else he wanted? He wanted all of those faithful Old Testament saints. Those men and women who looked ahead in faith for the coming Messiah. They looked ahead in faith for the one who would defeat Satan and sin and death. And in time, each one of those Old Testament saints died and they were taken under the power of death in Sheol. In Hebrews 11, we're given a, a list of these saints. Not, it's not a comprehensive list. It's a, it's a summary list. The high points are hit. But we're given a list of these faithful Old Testament saints. And what we see at the very end of Hebrews 11, we, we, we read these words. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What was promised to them? You look earlier back in chapter 11 and verse 10 and verse 13, and you'll see what was promised. They were promised a new and better country. They were promised a heavenly country, a heavenly city whose designer and builder was God. And they had to wait for that promise. Some longer than others. Abel had to wait a long time until one day, the very Lord that they had looked ahead to came where they were, to the lower regions of the earth. And after three days, he was raised up and he brought them with him, set the captives free. There's a preacher in the second century named Melito of Sardis. And in one sermon, he said these words, by the cross, death is destroyed, and by the cross, salvation shines. By the cross, the gates of hell are burst, and by the cross, the gates of paradise are opened. Melito then continues, uh, he, he, he pictures Christ himself saying, I am he who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and tread down Hades and bound the strong one and bore man away to the heights of heaven. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, here is some application for us. And it is simply this. Do not be afraid. That's what the Lord tells John the Beloved in verse 17 that we just read. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus Christ has defeated death. And he has prayed for you. And he wants you to be where he is. And he's not going to let you be bound by death because he has the keys to death and Hades. So don't be afraid. I want to end with one last quote from Dr. Charles Hill, that RTS Orlando professor. There was no way I could formulate this any better. Dr. Hill says these words, Christ descended into Hades 
so that you and I would not have to. Christ descended into Hades so that we might ascend to heaven. Christ entered the realm of death, the realm of the strong enemy, and came away with the keys. The keys of death and Hades are now in our Savior's hands. And God the Father has exalted him to his right hand and given him another key, the key of David, the key to the heavenly Jerusalem. All praise and honor and glory to the Lamb who has conquered. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord henceforth. And blessed are we here and now. Even now we have this hope and a fellowship which are with our Savior, which is stronger than death. Let's pray. Father, those words are true. We have nothing to be afraid of. Our future, our eternity is certain because Jesus lives, because he rose again from the dead, defeating our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. Father, he went to a place where we will not have to go. He experienced on the cross something we should have experienced and yet will not. He has done all the work. Father, give us the strength and the faith to rest in him and him alone. We ask in his most holy and precious name. Amen.